Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. Live in the freedom that God loves you unconditionally. And He loves you unconditionally. God's love for you is unconditional. Preaching that God loves you unconditionally is the wrong message. God has a good will towards everybody, believers and non-believers. But there is another love reserved only for those who embrace the gospel and put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. to play Elvis live? The answer is yes. Yes, I will. It's impossible Tell the sun to leave the sky Ah, man, this is Wretched Radio. It's just impossible. It's impossible To ask a baby not to cry it's, it's, it's just impossible to tell a baby boy that you're actually a baby girl. I promised we wouldn't talk about this subject unless we thought we had something valuable to contribute to the conversation about gender and gender identities. And so it is stumbled into an article from the American Reformer. <laughs> it's a little hard, but helpful when you and I go about the business of trying to engage our culture in a conversation about Genesis, because that's where genders were established. In order for us to try to persuade people about pinks and blues, our primary source is the Bible. And yet, we can use some thinking, some science to help people understand, no, you can't change genders. There are two words that you and I must grasp in order to tag along in this article titled, The Impossibility, Man, of Transgenderism. Sorry. Can I hold you closer to me? Yeah, this is the last time I sang this song live, man. It was kind of hard to remember the words after this. But the second, but I never think of you. Oh, how impossible. Word number one, Fenno. Typical. Uh, thank you, English language. It should be pahenotypical, but it's PH, phenotypical traits. That's the externals of you, how you present yourself. When a child is born, everybody in the room looks at the body parts and goes, ah, it's a boy, it's a girl. Those are your phenotypical traits. Your genotypical traits or genotypical traits, uh, that's your genetic stuff. So pretty self-explanatory. Pheno, physical. Geno, genetic. Chromosomes, your hormones. That's what makes you you scientifically. Now, let's jump into the article to understand why it is impossible for people to actually change genders, because that's what they're trying to persuade us we can do. Sex changes from this article are no more, this is a helpful line, than cosmetic procedures which alter the phenotypical traits of an individual. Now, you can cut off my nose and take some skin from elsewhere and make it look like an ear and put it on the front of my face, but it's not an ear, or it's not, an, it's, it's not actually an ear because it doesn't function that way. 
And you didn't change my genotypical traits. You don't become something else through cosmetic surgery. If it is not possible to alter the person's genotypical traits, and it's not, nor to maintain, this is important to the reproductive capabilities of the person's phenotypical traits, even after they've gone through mutilation, then it's not possible to change one's biological sex. The biology can't be changed. All we're doing is mutilating people and saying, look, they sort of present themselves as, well, now how you present yourself, that gets to be a bit of a tricky issue, but what makes you you isn't just the way you present yourself. Oh, that's part of it, to be certain. But it is also what your body is capable of doing for reproduction. That, that's why we have these parts in part. And that doesn't change when you go through cosmetic surgery. When the phenotypes of an individual are altered, the individual is rendered infertile, destroying, not replacing the individual's sexual organs. So a, a girl who, oh, that we do this to children, gets a double mastectomy so that she can feel like a boy. Well, no, no we've, we've just mutilated you. We've destroyed part of what makes you contribute to the reproductive process. It is not possible to truly change one's biological sex, even if one is able to do so, by modifying one's physical body so that you look a little different. If our biological sex is discovered, not assigned, that's a, that's a little linguistic trick these days, isn't it? Hey, we as, you were assigned that gender at birth. Hey, no, we all have eyes to see. We didn't assign a gender. We simply discovered what it was when it appeared out of the womb. Don't let them play that trick on you. If our biological sex is based on phenotypical and genotypical traits, which develop naturally toward reproductive ends, and if it's not possible to change one's sex, then it's immoral to tell children that they can choose what sex they want to be. It's immoral to encourage children to think about what sex they want to be as if they could choose. It is immoral to insist on giving hormone blockers to children who are doubting and confused. It's immoral. Here's an illustration. Put this one in your back pocket. Would society deem it morally good to inhibit the natural growth of a child's ears, eyes, tongue, because, well, they're not certain about whether or not they identify as able to see or as blind or able to hear or as deaf, able to speak or as dumb. We would say, oh, this child needs help. Mom and dad, I want to get rid of these eyes because I identify as blind. Uh, no, 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 no. Your eyes are for seeing. That's how you're made. Bingo! Your genitalia tell you that's how you're made because of what they do in the reproductive process. Would it be considered morally good to remove a person's eyes, ears, tongue because later in life they decided to identify as blind, deaf, or dumb? So why is it considered morally permissible, in fact, brave, said our president, to modify sexual organs of an individual cosmetically? because they think 
that they feel like another gender. They think that that this isn't what I'm supposed to be. With that in mind, I almost teared up when I read this. About three, Jimmy, how long ago was it? Maybe it was maybe it was even before you joined us. When people started saying, I, I don't feel like a man. Oh, man, yeah. I feel like a woman. Right. Yeah, what does that feel like? Yeah. And I asked you, Jimmy, what does it feel like to be a man? And you can't even describe it in your, like, what does that feel like? Well, in this particular article, they tackle that subject regarding bats. Thomas Nagel, in an article, what is it like to be a bat? Raised the question of the possibility of knowing the subjective experience and feelings of another. Hey, what does it feel like to be a bat? You'd go, well, I don't know what it feels. I mean, um, they fly and eat bugs and like there's something about echoes and stuff. Okay, well, you can observe what they do, but you can't identify how they feel. Quote, insofar as I can imagine, it tells me only what it would be like for me to behave as a bat behaves. But that isn't the answer to the question. What does it feel like for a bat to be a bat? And if we try to imagine it, we're restricted to the resources of our own minds. And those resources are inadequate to the task. And so we have young people saying, well, I just feel like I should be a, a girl. They, they can see the performance, and which is why I think you see these outrageous caricatures, very offensive in my opinion, about women. Well, the women, they wear eyelashes and lots of makeup and big hair. And that's how I feel. No, that's how you maybe want to present yourself. But that's not how a woman feels. You can't feel like you're a woman if you're a man and vice versa. We cannot form more than a schematic conception of what it is like. The subjective character of the experience of a person, deaf and blind from birth, is not accessible to those of us who can see and hear. I, we, furthermore... Let's just say I observe bats and I said, you know, I feel like that. First of all, I, I don't know what it feels like. My senses are limited. So I really am a bat. And so I go to a hospital, probably in Philadelphia or what, where is it? Pittsburgh, where they're doing this all the time. And they sew, they take, they take some skin and they sew little wings on my back. Thank you. Thank you. No, I feel like a bat. I, cause now I am a bat. You'd go, well, no, you, you got some floppy skin back there. No, those are wings. Actually, they're not because they don't perform that way. You simply had your body altered. Why? Because it's impossible to change your sex and gender, man. In the ocean, don't let them deceive the you. God made you the way he made you for a purpose. This is Wretched Radio Man. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Master's Academy International. 
training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series, hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson, is returning for season number two. As a matter of fact, it is on sale right now, and Transform season two will demonstrate powerfully, I might add, that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling, they show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things that likely you are. PTSD, anger issues, assurance, depression, discontentment, ADHD, abuse, anxiety, self-pity, and you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all life godliness and emotional challenges. Transform Season 2. It's on sale right now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. Typical radio commercials will have one big shebang, the opening line. Do we have your attention now? This particular commercial has eight have we got your attention now? MediShare, affordable biblical health sharing, will save the average family $500 per month. Second, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to typical health insurance. Double, that's that's times two if you weren't homeschooled. A massive network of providers to choose from. MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. They've been around for 25 years. $4 billion in healthcare bills have been shared. If you call them now, you will save on the joining fee. They're going to erase it. That's another $170. This is a limited time offer, which means make it snappy. Call 1-844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Did I mention 844-34-BIBLE to get your MediShare quote in under two minutes? Know your reformers. Jan Hus, a Czech priest, was inspired by the writings of John Whitcliffe to preach against papal access and false doctrines such as transubstantiation. Even as he was burned at the stake by the Catholic Church, he continued to preach the gospel and sing the psalms. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Come on! What must you think of me if you thought I was going to play this? Honestly. And the ocean this is Wretched Radio. It's impossible. <laughs> Being equipped to engage our very confused world about something that you think is so obvious. And it is. But remember, gender is not as obvious as the existence of God. 
Whenever you scratch your head going, how can we think like this? How can we deny reality? How can we deny truth? How can we deny what is plain in the minds of all of us? And the answer is because we've already denied what is more obvious, and that is the existence of God. And that's what Romans 1 lays out. They deny God. They want to live any way that they want. And so we spiral. We descend into more and more foolishness because we now have permission. We've denied the big thing, these little things, piece of cake. With some help from the American Reformer, a well-done article from David Haynes. Nice job. I don't know what his pronouns are. I don't know if I should call him sir or, or, or madam, but that does raise a question. David, you think it's a he, don't you? Why? What about Pat? You'd go, well, well, it depends. It's... Why is a name masculine or feminine? And the answer is our society has determined that's what it represents. We make up these sounds. I mean, David, it's a, we know it's a biblical name. David, Hebrew, would be a, a name that has existed for a long time. But as a culture, we said that one's only for boys. Why? Well, David was a boy, but somewhere back in the line, They had to go, that's a boy's name and not a girl's name. And so it is in our culture. We see different cultural expressions of what it means to be male and female. And this is important because the world's going to say, but look at the exceptions. For instance, in Scotland, men wear kilts. That's like a skirt, dude. So clearly, men can wear skirts. No, that's, that's not what it is. Besides, it's deeper than that. It's a culturally assigned way that typically that gender presents themselves. And so from the article, very helpfully, the many examples of socially determined ways of expressing genders, which gender theorists, they like to throw it up. Huh? Huh? Look at at the way they're behaving. They tend to be descriptive. Here's another important word. Accidental rather than essential ways in which males and females act accidental and essential. A man cannot get pregnant. He can impregnate, but he can't get pregnant. Why? Because that's essential. Now, can he wear maternity clothes if he wants to? Well, sure, if he wants to, but that's an accidental expression. In other words, our culture said maternity clothes are for pregnant females. That's accidental. That doesn't change who the person is. We are literally putting lipstick on a pig and saying, look, it's a Miss USA pageant contestant. No, we've just put lipstick on a pig. It didn't change the pig and turn the pig into a beauty pageant contestant. Do we still have those? They seem sexist to me, I'm sure. This confuses the objective ways in which a person of a particular biological sex acts in relation to human reproduction. So when you've got those parts, those are essentials. You'll use this. Hey, uh, that, that culture, look at the men wear skirts in that African village. See? See? No, that's just the way the culture has decided that men can dress and should dress in this culture. For example, from the article, they get into men wearing kilts, but social norms related to how a person acts, 
that's accidental. And those can change. And we need to recognize that. I always think about pants for women. Catherine Hepburn was a scandal because she wore pants. Today, you'd go, what woman wearing pants? That doesn't make her a man. That was the accusation 100 years ago. Why? Because heretofore, our culture said, no, women don't wear pants. And that changed. The culture decided it's acceptable. Now, it is interesting that for the most part, you've got women pants and men pants, which is why you've got different departments at stores. When will that be attacked, by the way? We must recognize there are sociocultural norms different from each culture, which describe how a man or a woman will dress, behave, what they're interested in, etc. So, for instance, culturally, we see different tra- things that boys like to do versus girls like to do. So what do we do when we see something that a girl likes to do that boys typically do? She likes to she's the one who likes to play with trucks. That's accidental. I mean, that's just cultural thing. There's a reason that we have boy toys and girl toys because they tend to gravitate. But those things also tend to be accidental, not essential. Let's get into the kilts, shall we? Kilts, not skirts, but not unlike skirts, not what a man typically wears in the States. But for some cultures, they do. Some cultures, Men do not wear pink. Jimmy, can I get a hearty amen to that? <laughs> For other cultures, they do. Other, acti- other activity. Okay. In Europe, I, honestly, the first time I went to Europe, I was like, whoa, everybody's gay around here. Because I was it's all these women walking arm in arm and, and men walking arm in arm. And it's like, whoa, what did they? Now, why did I have that impression? Because here, we don't do that. But over there, they do. That's accidental. It's not an essential. Now, if it goes beyond that with body parts, then you are getting into the territory of essential. Other activities, which have been occasionally designed as gender-specific, would include things as writing and appreciating poetry, wearing silky clothing, cultivating and appreciating flowers, baking, and designing clothing. Those, Those are culturally driven because in some cultures, Uh, Men used to be tailors. We tend now in our culture to go, well, women do the sewing. Well, in some cultures, no, that men do that. Same thing with cooking. You got to be careful. Now, we understand that they're expressions of gender preferences on the whole. But what the world will do is say, well, see, look at the exception right there. Therefore, because of that accidental expression of gender, that changes their essential. And they hop categories on us. These, however, are social constructs that are specific to each culture, and they are neither subjective experiences of the individual nor absolutely normative ways of identifying men or women. As such, one feels compelled to conclude that though there are objective ways of being male and female, they are directly related to the reproductive process. So we've got ourselves a a little scientific baseline here. Body parts. Remember the phenotypical versus genotypical. As such, we conclude there are objective ways of being male and female, but the culturally informed ones do not determine one's gender. That's exactly Corporal Klinger, that hairy dude in MASH who would put on women's clothing. Didn't change him at all. His thinking is confused. 
the many socially determined ways of expressing gender do not amount to an objective way of being what could be referred to as feeling like a woman or feeling like a man. And that is something that we really do well to remember from the article. They say someone says, yeah, but um, there are biological organisms that are capable of self-fertilization. They can change their biological sex when there aren't enough males or females for reproduction of the species. Hold it. That does happen. But that doesn't prove there's a third sex. Only that there are biological beings who are capable of playing the role of either male and female or of changing their role in order to ensure reproduction. And that actually implies that there are two biological sexes that are needed for reproduction. So the these exceptions that they, hey, we, we found an exception in a petri dish where they, they become, their males are able to become pregnant, but they're still males. That's all. And it simply proves that there are two genders. Same thing with the term intersex. They're intersex. What are they inter? Latin, between. What You got to have some sort of norm or standard to be between the norm or the standard. It is important to note that the human being is able neither to self-fertilize nor to change its role in the reproduction of the species. So sex changes out the door. Why? Well, <laughs> silly rabbit. It's because it's impossible. Thank you very much. <laughs> and tomorrow, should you ask me for the world? The king was in good voice that night, man. It was 1972 with the Las Vegas Hilton. Freeway didn't ask. Genotypical, phenotypical. Essential versus accidental. Remembering those words will help you inform the world it is impossible to change your gender, man. This is Wretched Radio. Thank you very much. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Have you seen the ridiculous Nebraska amendment proposed by State Senator Megan Hunt, which would ban children under the age of 19 from attending religious indoctrination camps? Basically, her proposal would ban children from attending church youth groups or vacation Bible schools. Now, you might be asking why. Well, it's because she's attempting to kill the underlying bill, a measure put forward by Republicans of the State Senate in Nebraska, which would ban minors from attending drag performances. She's comparing children attending drag shows to children attending church youth groups. Not the same thing. Not the same thing at all. I promise, whether you believe me or not, I am not a Governor Ron DeSantis groupie. He's just doing some really good things in Florida. We're also doing permanent sales tax exclusions on all baby necessities, including cribs and strollers. Hard enough raising kids as it is. Now you get baby food, diapers, wipes, the whole baby clothes permanently uh, tax-free. Seems like another win for the state of Florida to me. The future workforce coming out of the state of New York University system will be, will be highly trained in diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. But the jury's still out on how well they'll continue to be trained in whatever it is they're majoring in. 
What am I talking about exactly? Well, starting this fall, all state universities in the New York system will be required to take diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice classes as part of their general education requirements. Because these are the things they need to know. A Christian mother in South London whose four-year-old son was required to take part in a school's LGBT pride parade against her will is sent to have her case heard in court soon. Izzy Montague made national headlines after being aggressively told by the head teacher at Hebrews Farm Primary School that her son could not opt out of the pro-LGBT event despite her family's Christian beliefs. I'm not real sure how the case is going to go, but I know how it should go. The French Senate has voted in favor of a constitutional amendment that seeks to enshrine access to abortion in the country's constitution. The amendment seeks to insert, quote, the freedom of women to terminate their pregnancies into the French Constitution. That represents a change from the bill passed in the French National Assembly in November last year. The original text of the proposed legislation sought to introduce a right to abortion, where this new text speaks only of the freedom to have an abortion. Regardless, Abortion is still murder and has no place in any country's constitution. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The book of Ecclesiastes is a philosophical and poetic reflection on life. The author teaches that no matter what, all men die and face God's judgment. Life, then, is full of vanity and despair. Anything that is pursued for its own sake is meaningless. But if we pursue God above all else, we can enjoy even mundane things as gifts from God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Are you barking? Work with me. It's supposed to be a gorilla. (laughs) It's the worst gorilla impression ever. Well, it ain't easy to be the best at being the worst. This is Wretched Radio. Yeah, we'll get to celebrity and entertainment news, but this story is rather entertaining all by itself. Humans and wild apes share common language, so you shouldn't have any problem with me talking like apparently apes and we did millions and millions of years ago. Now, they're still looking for the recordings of that to determine for sure that we used to share a similar language. But wow, you talk about scientific. This ain't. Researchers at St. Andrews University want to tell us that apes are just like us because they communicate the way that we do. And you say, I don't recall picking bugs off of another human being and eating them with pleasure. Well, detail, shmetail. You say, but I don't hang from a tree. They did, did, did. Damn, they've got this at St. Andrews. It suggests the last common ancestor we shared with chimps, by the way, it suggests the language of speculation that dominates evolutionary theory. It's not even a bad idea. It suggests the last common ancestor we shared with chimps used similar gestures 
and that these may have been a starting point for our language. Ah, may have, may, may suggest possibly that we think that, look at the monkeys, they have gestures like human beings. Okay, you just count yourself blessed right now because you can't see this because this is radio. Jimmy. Yes. What am I? I I have no idea. What am I? What am I doing? Well, you're trying to dance. No, that was oh wow my my apparently my impersonation of a fish is that bad too. I was I was flapping my my fin. See, so I'm just like a fish. Yeah, because we do something sort of similar. This is science. Human infants use some of the same gestures that monkeys do. Yeah. You know, I scratch my head and an elephant uses its tusk to scratch its head. I guess we're the same. Look it. We're trying to communicate the same way. We're quite confident now that our ancestors would have started off gesturing and that this was co-opted into our language. Ah, so they're they're just at the beginning. The monkeys are at the beginning stages of becoming human because that's how we started or language with gestures. You got any proof of that? You got any bones that indicate film, footage at 11, anything? And somebody got a grant for this. The team of researchers spent many years wasting their lives. Sorry, that's not what this BBC article says. They've spent many years observing wild chimpanzees. They previously discovered the great apes use a whole lexicon of more than 80 gestures that convey messages to another gorilla. See, we have a common language. So if I want somebody to come, I kind of do the big arm swing and, you know, come here. And a gorilla does that. And that doesn't mean that we share a common language. Those are called gestures. Okay. It's communication, but it ain't a language. You got to have, you know, A tongue that can articulate it, a brain that can formulate it, and you need a receptor that is able to translate it. The gestures people can innately understand may form part uh, of what a doctor at St. Andrews described as an evolutionarily ancient shared gesture vocabulary across all great ape species, including us. (laughs) That is utterly ridiculous. I drink milk, so I'm a calf! You drink water? Well, you're like a rhinoceros. You are. Now we get to celebrity news. It may or may not be as entertaining as evolutionary science, which is just... Utterly ridiculous. This is a fast. Ooh, it's heating up. New York Times headline based on a true story, except the parts that aren't. Apparently, it's all the rage these days to take actual historical characters and put words in their mouth. How they've chosen these particular subjects. I'm not here to judge. But the New York Times is saying the people who are actually the characters or who are involved in these stories aren't happy that they are being portrayed a certain way. Huh. Imagine that, would you? From the article in the New York Times, the millions of people that have watched the most popular historical dramas of the last year 
that would be the crown and monster the jeffrey dahmer story did that why would what i get it he ate people okay that's that's actually more than what i need to know i i don't need to know that at all frankly my life would not be debilitated in any way if I didn't know anything about Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer eating people or Ed Gein making human lamps. I don't think I need to watch a two-hour recreation of it. The other biggie is Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. And this is they, they take these people, basketball players, royalty, saviors. I'm just thinking out of the box here. They put words in their mouth, put them into dramas and stories that come from the mind of an author who isn't inspired, by the way, and then present it. And the people who are actually being having words put in their mouth are going, no, I didn't say that. I didn't act like that. And the lawsuits are starting to fly. Now, it's hard to make this type of case. I mean, how were you wounded by that? Nevertheless, libel, defamation lawsuits. Never before have dramatizations of well-known people and events been so popular. So, too, have the liberties that screenwriters are taking with the facts. <laughs> it's amazing. The pagans get upset about this, but we don't. Not, not with God. Why would we be upset that somebody's putting fictitious words into the mouth of our Savior and other inspired Bible writers? In many instances... These are not mere embellishments for dramatic flair, but they're fabrications, major fabrications. Some of the people who claim they've been reduced to crude caricatures on screen are suing for defamation. The Crown has been forced to add disclaimers stating that what people are watching is, in fact, a dramatized version of real events. Carry on, evangelicals! Keep choosing to make TV programs. That's just fine if you want to do that. Nobody in that story would possibly be upset. And then, so what people are doing with the with these stories, The Crown or The Jeffrey, whatever it is, apparently they've got a fair amount of free time too. They actually go Googling, is that historically accurate? Did the basketball player really throw a trophy through a window? And the answer is no. So the bat, or maybe it was a coach. The, co and the coach is upset. I didn't do it. You're making me look like a jerk here. They seem to have a problem with it. Why don't we? Why doesn't it bother us that words are being put into the mouth of our God? Now, it is indeed possible in a sermon to say something like, I can imagine Jesus might have said, but I got to even that's that's risky business. It is really risky business. I've seen it done brilliantly. I've also seen it done like, uh, wait, hold it. You are kind of blurring the lines here. And now people, rather than like hearing truth, they've got to discern what well, was that fiction or was that made? And that's what they're, you have to do with these TV shows. You got to sit there. What's the point? What's the point? Oh, Jesus didn't actually say that. Okay, never. I'll, I'll forget that. Then why watch it? Well, that's not really the way that it happened. But it makes me feel good. Yeah. We enjoyed watching The Crown, too, but we didn't get a very good history lesson. I don't understand the events that actually did happen. Why? Because it's a dramatization of history. 
And I don't think that we're doing anybody any favors, to be perfectly honest. You know who does it best when it comes to saying something like Jesus? I can imagine Jesus saying, Milton Vincent. He does that really beautifully, but he does it carefully. And when he, and you know that it's that it's he sets it up so that it's like, hey, this is I'm just telling you. Wouldn't it just be in alignment with the character of Jesus to say something like, can you imagine him doing that? And we all know that he's separating fact from fiction to simply make a point about what we know to be true as opposed to an hour-long drama that we present on TV and then tell people, well, you can do a Bible study on it. Just you'll, you'll figure it out. Forget the stuff that didn't actually happen that was totally fanciful. And don't worry. Jesus doesn't mind. I actually suspect he does. This, oh, I'm sorry, what I meant to say. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Reborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives. That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing when she got here. It was just, oh my gosh. (laughs) Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. Now, I know if you're like the majority of people who listen to Wretched, you find yourself sometimes wondering, why do I listen to this? No, you find yourself sometimes wondering, what is going on at Wretched? If you're not already signed up for the free Wretched newsletter, that's your answer. Just go to wretched.org slash newsletter and sign up and you'll get monthly emails letting you know exactly what's going on at the ministry. From release dates to new resources, teaching on tough theology, topics, you're instantly eligible for free resource giveaways, and even Tons haircut and gym schedule. No, that's not true. But you will find out absolutely everything you need to know about Wretched. Just sign up at wretched.org slash newsletter. And while you're there, if you're not already a Wretched Gospel partner, head over to the donate page. That's wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home, parents get saved, and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, 
Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa. Would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Mexican. The Incarnation is one of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible. At the Incarnation, the eternal God became a human being. He did not abandon his deity, nor did he put on a human shell like a hand puts on a puppet. Jesus Christ is 100% human and 100% God, the only acceptable sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Found it. This is Wretched Radio. Can a preacher ever put words into the mouth of the Lord? Well, not if he's going to present it as this is what the Lord has said, but he can, in support of his text, set up an imaginary scenario. Think of it like this. Imagine you're doing this, and Jesus responds like that. Can it be done? Yes, but it must be done really, really carefully. Milton Vincent, I found the clip. And if you've heard this before, having listened to Wretched Radio before, which is impossible because nobody has except Jimmy, because, well, he has to. You're not going to be disappointed to hear this again from Milton Vincent. It's his magnificent sermon on justification, talking about the introduction that we have been made to the Father through Jesus Christ. We have been brought into his presence because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The word peace, as many of you know, speaks of more than just the absence of hostility. It speaks of the luxurious presence of all that is needed to have a rich and a vital and intimate relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. We now observe that though our justification, yes, is legal, it was rendered with a profoundly relational intention by God. God has justified you if you believe in Jesus in order to bring you into close, rich, vital relationship with himself. God justified you. He would say, listen, I, I did the whole justification thing to get the sin problem out of the way, to get you clothed with the righteousness of my son it. so that I can now give myself to you. And did, you did you hear how he snuck? But he, he was saying, it's God saying, but we know that's not what he said. And we can have a friendship and have a relationship. I love what the commentator uh, Cranfield says. God does not confer the status of righteousness upon us without at the same time giving himself to us in friendship and establishing peace between himself and us. And should you happen to be one of the myriads of Christians who struggles with assurance, tune in intently to what you're about to hear. I want you, don't brush this off. I want to ask you tonight, do you receive what I'm saying? Do you believe that God actually wants a rich, vital, luxurious friendship characterized by intimacy and closeness with you? Do do you believe that? Do you believe you're justified and the reason he justified you was not as an end in itself, but as a means to a greater end of now having a relationship with you? Answer that question in your heart. 
I'll never forget a number of years ago, I was talking to a man in our church who had known the Lord for nine years. And I, I knew how long he had known the Lord because I had led him to the Lord nine years earlier. But he seemed pretty low and discouraged. And I was meeting with him on a Friday morning. And right before he left, I just, I stopped him and I asked him, I said, I said, brother, are you, are you enjoying intimacy with God? Are you enjoying intimacy with God? And this man turned around and looked at me and he said, listen to his words. He said, oh, Milton, you have no idea the things I did before I was saved. Do you realize what he was saying by that? This, this is a man who would say, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. My sins are forgiven. I'm justified. But God wouldn't want a close relationship with me. And he's like, and I'm okay with that. I don't even deserve that. Uh, I'm okay to just be forgiven and to have a home in heaven. But closeness with God, that's for people who haven't done the things I did before I was saved. And it was my joy to speak these truths into this brother. That no, God justified you and forgave you in order to get that problem out of the way so that he could bring you into intimate friendship with himself. Mm. Do you believe that? Now unto Milton presenting a scenario where Jesus didn't say this, but this is what he has done. Can we ever put words into the mouth of the Savior? Well, if we do it this well. Imagine... You come to the cross, you believe in Jesus, your burden rolls off your back, your sin burden, you get clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, and, and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. And, and then Jesus comes to you and says, oh, you think that's amazing. There's so much more. And he says, come, come with me. I want to take you to my father now. That's what this is all about. That's the whole reason I got you dressed up like this, so you, you could actually be in my father's presence and he grabs you and he takes you by the arm and, and imagine whatever scene you want, a, a, a beautiful palace scene. And he's taking you to the palace of the sovereign king of the universe. And as you get closer and closer to that palace, your heart maybe starts to shrink back in fear. Like, do I, do I really want to see and be seen by this God under whose wrath I used to be? And Jesus takes you down whatever corridors and then here you come to the door behind which is this God of the universe. And you shrink back at the door and you're like, I don't know. I don't know, Jesus. And Jesus says, trust me. My father thinks of you as forgiven. And he thinks of you as righteous with my righteousness. Just trust me. Come with me inside this room. And we come inside the room and there's God. And he greets us in warm friendship and relationship. And we're like, I can't believe I'm here and I'm not being struck dead. And then after we're in his presence for a couple minutes, we're like, should I stay or should I leave? How long do I get to stay here? And if I, if I leave after a couple minutes, I'm going to spend the rest of my life celebrating the fact that I got to spend a couple minutes with the sovereign king of the universe. And we look at Jesus and it's like, I'm feeling kind of awkward. I mean, should I, should I leave now? 
And Jesus says, no, actually, I brought you in here because you're welcome to stay here for the rest of your life. John Stott says, justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than an occasional audience with the king. We are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace with that king. We get to stay. Stay under God's grace at all times. Can it be done? I think so. Imagine this scene. All of the people who have ever lived are assembled before the throne of God. And your face is in the midst of that sea of humanity. And Jesus Christ steps off of his throne, makes his way through the crowd. And he's getting closer and closer and closer until he comes face to face with you. And he takes you by the hand and he says, come with me. I'm going to introduce you to my father. And that's what he does. Not so that you're simply a servant in the house, but so that you might enjoy a relationship with him. In other words, salvation is a henna clause. In order to, Jesus saved you, not merely, and I don't mean to make that sound small or trite, but he didn't save you merely to save you. He didn't save you merely to bring glory to his father through his redemptive work, although he certainly did that. But he did save you also to bring you into that relationship. You, you. How would you feel if my fanciful imagined scenario were true? (laughs) Me? He chose me? He wants me to come meet the father? Bingo! Can you believe that? Can you get that? And if you're saying, not really, think on it. Because that is precisely what the Bible says that Jesus does for us. He died so that, in order to introduce us to the Father, that we might enjoy the most enjoyable being in the universe. You don't get to be with the comedian who makes you laugh. You don't get to be with the person who plays the guitar and sings really well around a fire pit. No, no, no. God is way more fantastic than that. And he died to bring you into a relationship with himself that you might enjoy him. And if it's been a bit since you have pondered that, oh, please take some time today to do so and let it give you a peace that surpasses understanding. Let knowledge give you joy and let the truth of Romans 5 that you are justified in order to be brought into a peaceful, luxurious relationship with God give you assurance because he actually wants you to have it. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.